Good morning, everybody. Welcome to church, y'all. It's so good to see you. Good to have you with us. If I don't know you, my name is Ashley. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, for the last several weeks here at Trinity, we've been going through a study in the book of Galatians. So we'll be doing um, that again this week, picking up, continuing on our study in Galatians 5. But before we get to the Bible, uh, I, there are a couple of things I want to mention before we study God's Word together. And the first is this. Uh, it was so good to have uh, Pastor Drew here with us last week. Drew was here from Redeemer uh, Community Church in Vine City. We love Drew and Redeemer, Redeemer and the work that they're doing there. I didn't get to be here, but I did get to listen to his sermon online. So good. Uh, Drew did a brilliant job with the text and also a brilliant job sharing with us about God's heart and vision for a more unified and more reconciled a church across lines of difference. If you haven't had a chance yet to listen to it, uh, please do. And it was a good reminder to me and I hope to all of us that if you'll remember, um, for some time now, we've been talking um, every now and then reminding you all that for the past year or so, our leadership team has been having really intentional conversations about issues of racial reconciliation um, here in our church, in our city. This has been such a life-giving and hopeful time for our team, for our staff. And um, a lot of, of good work has come out of that. And what we hope to do on November 11th, we're going to be hosting what we're calling a conversation on racial reconciliation here at the church, November 11th at 7.30 p.m. And this will be a time for us to come together, um, you all in our church, our pastors, as well as some members from our community, to share about our convictions related to reconciliation, why it is we believe it matters so much to the heart of God, and what it looks like for us as a church to be committed to being formed by the gospel uh, in this way. And so here's what I want to say um, also about that. If you find yourself um, feeling somewhat skeptical about this, either because you assume that we are either jumping on a cultural bandwagon or it's just too little too late, that you have some time ago kind of lost hope that the church, capital C, would change with respect to these issues. Uh, a, I just want to say you have every right to be skeptical. So there's that. And B, I want to ask you to come and hear us out. I want to ask you to like hold forth hope that God is and uh, is always at work, both in us, in you, in our city, in our church. And so what we're trying to do together is create some space to see what he would have us to do, where he's leading us um, as a church, where he might be leading you. And so if, if that excites you, resonates with you, we want you to, want you to be here. Um, maybe even if it doesn't excite you uh, and really resonate with you, we'd really like for you to be here with us. That's on November 11th at 7.30. And then secondly, I want to say this, speaking of Drew. Um, Drew was here on Sunday preaching, and then um, on Monday, Drew's youngest daughter was admitted to the ICU, and she's been intubated there and remains there, receiving treatment for what they believe at this point is some kind of encephalitis of the brain, some swelling of the brain. Um, it's terrifying, y'all, what the Henleys are going through. And um, because we love them and they belong to our family, when they hurt, we kind of all hurt together. If you all may be seen on Instagram or I've had the chance to follow along. You know some of the details about what they're going through at a moment like this. And so it feels like an invitation for us, particularly in light of the fact that Drew was just here, for us to rally around our brother Drew and Diane and their family and pray uh, for them. We also want to let you know similarly um, that Marty hasn't been here for the last few weeks because the Reardons have also been going through a kind of family emergency in their extended family for the last couple of weeks and will um, likely be out for the next couple. And so... We're putting all those things in front of you because um, it's been a reminder to us that what we do here in this church is not a show. 
It's not a performance. We belong to each other, y'all. These are our people. Um, some of my closest friends, family, really, to me and to us. And so when they hurt, we all hurt together. And we get to be for each other what we're called to be, which is people who pray, people who intercede. And this morning felt like such a bold and courageous invitation from the Lord in reading Psalm 91 to, like, say it back to him, you know, to ask him to be who he has promised to be on behalf of those we love. And so that's what we're going to do, um, which is his invitation, I believe, to do exactly that. Um, so if you, if you would, just we'll take a couple of moments just to pray. If we could put Psalm 91 back on the slide. We're going to read this um, in the spirit of the Psalms, in the, with the invitation that we have from God, which is to read it back to him, to remind him of his own word, and in faith to say, we believe these things to be true, Lord. And so as we pray in a spirit of prayer, we pray them over our brothers and sisters. Because you have made the Lord your refuge and the Most High your habitation, there shall no evil happen to you, neither shall any plague come near your dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. They shall bear you in their hands, lest you dash your foot against a stone. You shall tread upon the lion and adder. You shall trample the young lion and the serpent under your feet. And then the God says, because he is bound to me in love, because she is bound to me in love, therefore I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I am with him in trouble. I will rescue her and bring her to honor. With long life I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Jesus, our good shepherd, you who hold and protect, guard and keep, Lord, all that we cannot possibly hold, guard and keep. We bring those we love, Lord, those we've named and those unnamed in this community, Lord, who hurt and carry burdens too heavy for them to bear. We lift them up to you now, Lord, in Jesus' name. We ask you, God, to shelter them in your mighty wings. That they might dwell, Lord, in the shelter of your presence. That you would be, God, their shield and their protector, their defender, Lord. Lord, we know in name that we do, in fact, have an adversary who delights, Lord, in our pain. And so we ask you now, God, in Jesus' name, will you hold and protect, Lord, those who belong to you. Show yourself, Lord, glorious and victorious, Jesus. Carry them, Lord, in peace. We send our love to them. Lord, surround them, God, with your love and ours. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 You have Bibles. We'll be in Galatians chapter 5. We get to do the good work of God together um, in the Bible this morning, just as we've prayed. This isn't... You know, your time to go silent now, my time to talk. I hope that this is something that we can consider and do together. I believe with all of my heart that God puts a text like this in front of us and invites us into a space like this because he wants to do something in us and with us, for us.
And we're going to be talking about freedom this morning. Uh, we're going to read Galatians 5, verse 1, and then skip down to verse 13. And then we'll pray. Paul writes, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence, but through love. Become slaves to one another. For the whole law is summed up in a single commandment. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Lord, bless this time, this reading of your word. Bless the study of your word. Lift it up, Lord. Set your word and yourself before us, Jesus. Help us to see you and hear you. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would, in fact, make us free enough to hear you and see you. You are our deliverer, Lord. You have come not just once, but over and over again to set us free, and so that's what we ask for in the name of Jesus. Come now, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we're not going to get much past verse 1. Uh, it's one of those verses that is just uh, so powerful in its own right, um, it and others like it. There. Um, it has meant so much to me and in, in my life with God, no doubt to uh, many of you, this idea of freedom. And I will admit to you that for a long time, um, I don't think I knew exactly what it meant to be free in Jesus. Um, I, I grew up in a tradition that talked a lot about what you could not do. <laughs> and so it was very hard to reconcile um, the idea of freedom with this long list of things that I could not do, you know. And some of you may feel very similar even now. If someone was to ask you, well, what does it mean for you to be free in Jesus or that Jesus has set you free, you would probably feel compelled to, like, say some church words <laughs> um, and, like, hope you got it right and maybe, though, not ever really know. And if that's anybody in this room or most of us in this room, then, like, can we just believe that God has invited us into a time together to, like, set it straight? He wants you to know the freedom that you've been invited into in, in Jesus' name because of if you had asked me to describe freedom for most of my life, it would have sounded a lot like autonomy. Um, probably that's true for a number of us. Like if I think about freedom or if I, when I used to think about it, it was what I could do when I wanted to do it, you know, as I wanted to do it. That being free meant like no restraints. Um, I'm not like inhibited by your limits or your preferences, but I can just kind of like go and be and do what I want. As I want, that's autonomy. And um, Americans love that kind of freedom, actually. Um, that's just kind of like built into who we are, you know? And there's nothing wrong with that, actually. I'm, I, I feel it, too, uh, in my bones. But we do need to understand that we're probably talking about a different kind of freedom um, than Paul when we think about freedom in that way. That kind of like autonomous, um, you know, good old American freedom is, um, I, I always think about my dog when I imagine the freedom as I've all, most of my life understood it. Uh, my dog is who comes to mind. This, uh, she was an 80-pound Weimariner. I say was because, rest in peace, Darby. She's with the Lord now. My kids ask you. That's where she is. In heaven. And um, we, she lived a long and wonderful life. And she lived most of her life um, in this city and therefore in spaces much too small for her because she was huge and um, sad. 
So we would take her to Arkansas as often as we could, and you know she'd endure this long car ride, and then we would let her out of the car. And you probably have dogs and have seen them do this. We'd open the door, and she'd run out, and she would do what we um, called NASCAR. She would just full speed ahead, run these circles, you know, round and around and around and around, and then run over here, and then run and around and around again. And it was nuts. You could just tell, like her whole body wanted to explode with the freedom that she felt. We would take her for walks in the woods, and I kid you not, it was as purposefully she looked for every cow pile or dead thing she could find to either eat it or roll in it with abandon and you know the image I have is her like coming towards me covered in cow poo with like hay all over her and I swear to you she smiled I know that dogs don't technically do it but the glee that like just you know radiated from this animal it was if you know she could talk she would have said I am free in this place here I am, this is me at my best self, I am free here. And because she could just, you know, go and do what she wanted. And I get it, that kind of freedom, when most of us think, we have our own versions of that. You know, when we feel most free, most liberated, just kind of like go and, and be. And yet, Paul is talking about that, but there's something different. When we think about Christian freedom, we're not talking so much about autonomy, or the liberty of self but something else jesus has through his word and by his spirit transformed i believe my understanding of freedom so that it is some version of that but something importantly and decidedly uh, different i think one of the reasons that maybe we've all struggled so much with this pandemic and maybe with masks in particular is because they feel like a violation of something sacred you know like People ought not to be muzzled. And part of us, like, you know, rebels against the idea that we would be or have to be. We don't like having our movements restricted. We don't like being told to keep space from one another. It all feels like a violation of something sacred. And in some degree, we're not wrong. And yet, your freedom in Jesus is more than autonomy. It's more than the liberty to do and be as you please. Here's my first and only point. I believe we have a slide for this. Christian freedom is the ability to be who God has created and called me to be. That I might love. And you think, probably, well, that does not sound like as much fun as the other kind. If I'm honest with you, I prefer the Darby kind of freedom which I get it, but I'll just tell you, if left to her own devices, that dog would eat her weight in cow poo. And as you might imagine, God did not intend for creatures to do that. And what it does to a body is an unholy thing. And I promise you that when she finally and inevitably got sick, not to mention how deeply undignifying it is that she did it, but when she would get very sick, she didn't feel free, and I certainly did not feel free. Freedom is not what anybody was feeling at the end of that. Do you know what I'm saying? So what if maybe God's best, God's hope for us is that I might actually want and desire that which 
is good for me, really good, godly good, the kind of good God created me to have, to know, and to enjoy. What if that's what I wanted? Scott McKnight says it this way. He's a Christian writer and thinker. In his commentary on Galatians, he said this, We need to observe that in Paul, that being free is personal and existential, in the sense of being liberated to be what God wants us to be and to do what God wants us to do. In general, we might say that being free is the liberation of a person's spirit from everything that shackles it to sin and ugliness. Being free is the liberation of a person's spirit to do what God wants, to be what God wants, and to enjoy the life God wants for us on this earth. I think in general, it would be really great for me and for us if I could look at the limits in my life and see them as the guardrails that like, God intends for them to be, rather than like tools of oppression. Do you know what I'm saying? I find it, and is that just me, I'm the only one that sometimes looks at the limits in my life and finds them to be oppressive, as if they've been put there actually, you know, to hinder me in some way. What if I could actually see them for what they are, how God sees them as guardrails? I notice, for example, that when I'm up dangerously high going around curves, I never look at guardrails on the highway and think, oh, you oppressive guardrail. <laughs> Shackles that you are. If I want the freedom to go headlong off this cliff, let me be. No, none of us, no, we don't think that when we see guardrails. We're very thankful that they're there. We think, yeah, probably makes sense. That checks out. I see that. But if it pushes too hard on something that I don't want or don't like, all of a sudden it becomes a different thing. I see it differently. It's no longer a gracious gift. It's a tool of oppression, and Paul is saying, what if... What if you could be free, like in your spirit, to see it for what it is? Here's the thing. One of the reasons that we want to blow past limits is because we live in a world that rewards people for doing it, oftentimes. Like, very few people get rewarded for blowing past a guardrail and going off of a cliff, like you die. And we all know that, and that's why we're not tempted to do it. But we are tempted to blow past other limits, and that's because we live in a world that rewards it. Sometimes we prosper when we blow past them. You work 80 hours a week, and you get more money. You get promoted. You do whatever your version of blowing past limits in your life looks like, and you get rewarded for it. You're more arrogant than you should be, dishonest. We live in a world that gladly rewards those kinds of things. I was listening to um, me and one million of my closest friends have been listening to um, The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. You heard of this podcast? Christianity Today has produced a podcast about the story of Mars Hill and Mark Driscoll. Some of you may be very aware with the details of that story and others of you not at all, and that's fine. I'm not going to talk about it a lot. Here's the thought that occurred to me. When I was listening to it, though, as tempting as it is for me, and I suspect for all of us, to hear a story like that and think to ourselves, oh, Mark Driscoll, how could he ever? The really brilliant thing I think that they're doing with the podcast, and the question that I have found myself most reflecting on is, 
the only way that Mark Driscoll gets to be Mark Driscoll is because we love that kind of power, actually. I, I want it for myself too much of the time, and therefore I applaud it in other people. And that's because, like, something is off, something's bent. And so we're maybe rightly horrified at the particulars of that story, but I think if we're doing what we ought to do, if the Holy Spirit would have the freedom to do what he would like to do in us, it would be to examine ourselves and to consider the degree to which we are addicted to that kind of power, each and every one of us, because we are prone to blowing past limits, every single one of us. And that's because we are sinful people. We live in a broken and sinful world. Paul talks about this. He knows that the reason that the Galatians were tempted to go backwards is because they're human. And that nature, the flesh, is something we're all bound to. Works of the flesh come so easily and naturally. In fact, for me sometimes, they come so easily and so naturally, I don't even feel bad about it. Do you know what I'm saying? It's just, I just am doing a thing. I'm not trying to be bad. I'm just being me. <laughs> and sometimes just being me is wrong. Do you know what I mean? Pride comes so naturally to me sometimes I don't even know it to feel bad about it. And for some of you, you've been lying for so long, you don't even realize you do it anymore. You stopped feeling bad about it a long time ago. It's just what you do. Some of you have been so angry and enslaved to anger for so long. And you've convinced yourself that it's just your temperament. And actually, that the reason that people have an issue with you is because they can't deal because of a weakness in them. And Paul would say, that's because we're bound up. The ways of the world would enslave us and keep us angry and keep us people who practice deceit, keep me trapped in my arrogance. But thanks be to God, because of Jesus, the Holy Spirit has come and been given as a gracious gift to help me see and know myself so that I could be liberated, not to be bound up in my pride, not to be given over to deceit. And y'all, Paul gets it. Paul gets it, he really gets it. It's easy to read a letter like this and forget that it was written by a real person with a story. But you remember that before Paul met Jesus, he was a godly man. He was also bound up by anger, pride, ambition. He hunted Christians because he believed it was his place to put people in their place, as God would have him to do. And that he knew what that was. He believed this. It was a conviction, and he operated out of this conviction until he met Jesus. And then when he met Jesus, the Bible says something like scales fell from his eyes. And he began to see himself, not just Jesus, but in the light of Jesus, he could see himself more clearly. And ironically, he was blinded. He couldn't see a darn thing, actually, except himself, maybe for the first time. Who he'd really been, who Jesus really was, and that made him free. 
That's the same guy who can say it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. It felt like freedom to Paul, blind and all. In his freedom, guess what he did? He ran out and bought more guns. No, he didn't. He ran out and bought a new car. No, he didn't. He ran out and decided to sleep with whomever he wanted to sleep with because he could. No, he didn't. The freedom in Jesus made him repentant. He felt liberated to say he was sorry. He felt liberated to admit his weakness. He felt liberated to confess his sin. And you may hear all those things and think, that does not sound like as much fun as the other kind. Still, repentance, not as much fun as the other thing. It may not be as much fun, but I promise you, if you have never lived in, with freedom in your heart and your soul, you have never lived. It is the only kind of life, and I am speaking to you as one who knows. I know what it feels like to carry the weight of shame and guilt and drag it around with me every single day and hope to God that nobody finds out about X or Y or Z. And you are expending so much energy dragging that stuff around with you. It is for freedom that Christ would set you free so that you can know the goodness, the joy of living and being loved so that you might love other people. Your freedom is for something, not just for you. God will leverage it for the people around you. I'm not very good at saying I'm sorry. None of us are. But every time I do, unprompted, you know, just on my own, I choose it. I'm like, man, look at you. I do. For my own little celebration for myself. Just me and Jesus. And I feel the joy of my Father who has set me free. I get to revel in the joy of liberation. It feels so good to know I don't have secrets or lies that I'm waiting for you to find out. And does that mean I'm wholly and completely free all at once? No. I wish I could promise you right now today that if you'll just say, Jesus, help me, I want to be free, he'll cast off every shackle. It just doesn't work that way. Paul still struggled. You remember in Romans, he's the guy who says, man, it's the things I want to do that I don't do and the things I don't want to do that I end up doing. Who will save me from this body of death? And then what does he say? Preach somebody. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, my Lord, who has set me free. Today, you can be more free than you are. You can be. Jesus would have you to be. To know the joy and the peace of it. Like in your soul. What I'm going to do to end our time is just read a list of 
common sin masters. Things I have struggled with. Things every single person in this room to some degree struggles with. And here's what I would invite you to do. If you're serious about this, and really why else did you come? If you're not. There are so many other places you could be this morning. Atlanta's fun. You want to Darby out? Atlanta will help you. It's fun. But if you're here because you suspect God calls you here because he loves you and he knows how bound up you are, then do not miss the opportunity to let him help you because he loves you. So we're going to read a list of things, things we all struggle with. But when I read one that pings or stands out or gives you a kind of sinking feeling, then you may know that's your thing. Maybe God has named it for you. And you can just offer it to the Lord. Say, I would like God to be free from this thing. And let him work. Help us, Holy Spirit, to pray. Come, Jesus. Deceit. Vanity. Love of power. Fear of failure. Worry. Anger. Come, Holy Spirit. Work within us, God. Lord, he or she who the Son has set free is free indeed. And Lord, we choose to take hold of, to believe, and to move toward the freedom that you have made available to us. Help us, Lord, to receive it. Amen. And T. Wright says this, freedom from restraint. Freedom from restraint, if it is to be of any use must be matched by a sense of freedom for a particular purpose. And for Paul, that purpose is love. You are meant to be free so that you can love and be loved. And if that sounds trite to you, then you have not grasped Paul's meaning or mine. Some of you are being kept from the love in your relationships that you are meant to have because you're not free enough to just admit when you've been wrong. Some of you are being kept from the love you are meant to know in God because you're not free enough to just follow him, trust him. 
And he has brought you here, I believe, to offer that freedom to you because he loves you. I was at a wedding this weekend and somebody stood up and was toasting their best friend and he said this, he said, we have shared our darkest, hardest, everything's together. And the Bible says that the truth will set you free. And he said to his friend, I like to believe that as a result, we are both freer men for having known one another. What a beautiful ode to love. The kind of love we're meant to have. You can. It's not too late. Let's stand together if we're able.